The Reef Therapy Podcast is powered by ICP Analysis. We know our corals need certain elements to survive, reproduce, grow, and color up. And you might be asking yourself why you want to know about these trace elements. Well, the answer is growth and color of your coral. ICP analysis will test over 50 elements down to parts per trillion. These tests can also be used to see if there's anything undesirable in your aquarium as well. It's super easy. Register your aquarium on the ICP analysis app, fill your sample, place it back in the box, slap on the included postage label, and have results one to three days after it's received. More at icpanalysis.com. This episode of Reef Therapy was recorded at Aquashella Daytona. Hey, Reef Builders. Uh, welcome to episode number 85. Also, fish streamers as well of the uh, Reef Therapy podcast. We're in Aquashella Daytona. This place is gigantic. Yes. It's huge. It is the biggest venue yet. And security is on lock at this place. I showed up at 6 o'clock and they were like, no, nah, you're going to have to wait. You can't get in here. Did they try to <laughs> Did they try to put you at the line? They were like, yeah, go stand over here. Yeah, stand in here with all the early people. No. <laughs> uh, it's all the aquascapers who want to get in here and actually uh, do something. Uh, we've got some of the best in the business today. Obviously, Evie here, uh, Kevin with Top Shelf Aquatics. Julian Sprung is going to join us as well from Two yeah. Little Fishies. Uh, I'm going to treat this as kind of like a panel discussion this morning based on the state of the hobby as it is right now. Just kind of a little check-in with some, with some industry professionals. So, uh, first, I want to see how everybody's doing. So, uh, Abby, if you want to start, how are, how are things going? I know you have a lot to do with the setup of this. and It's going very well. It's been very smooth. Um, you know, for the most part, getting here earlier in the week, seeing everything get unloaded, bring it all out of the crates, start, you know, seeing all of the drapery and everything go up. It's like magic. You can go and do something that you've got to do on the other side of the venue and come back. And it's almost like changed completely yeah. by the time you make it back over. And it seems like you might've been gone for 30 minutes, but it really was more like three hours because yeah. <laughs> you get tied up doing other things, but it's, this has gone very, very well. We're very excited about and you, it. Days um, so we start getting access like roughly around Wednesday to start doing like tape offs and things of that nature. Um, and then throughout the course of that, it's like just kind of like little sections start kind of developing. Like we're getting stages built. We're making sure that we've got electricity brought down everywhere that it needs to go. Yeah. Um, even yesterday, they added a few more pieces of electricity that were dropped down from the ceiling because we were like, hey, we think we've got to have some more. In we here. need more. Yeah. Yeah, we've been at some shows where breakers are popping and things. Yeah, that's always <laughs> a good yeah, time. It's a nightmare. Anytime the, uh, the lights get ramped up or a heater kicks on, yeah, all of a sudden it's usually the heaters. Down, so. The heater's usually the guilty yeah. part. <laughs> Wi-Fi has been a challenge at some of these shows too. Mm -hmm. So you know, hopefully that's that's no issue with everything we got going on here. Yeah, it I looks like it's kind of streamlined and getting smoother each time, right? Yep, it is. It's definitely everyone really knows where they're supposed to go it seems now whenever they walk through the door and so it just gets more and more seamless as we go every single show and i know you've got uh the ladies take over reef therapy live coming up I today do. yeah our first one ever so it's our premiere episode i guess you'd say what are you guys going to talk about i think for the most part it's going to be a lot of introduction into who we all are so that way it's more of like a familiarity thing like talk about you know what we all do roughly within the industry and then just kind of 
hang out because I feel like if we do that more from like a live perspective and, and doing something in a facility like this, it kind of helps everyone go, okay, that's the premiere episode. If I want to watch something that's more educational, like bam, episode two. Either you want to like hang out with those girls from the gig <laughs> or it's like, no, I want to know exactly what they're talking about. Today. Yeah. Uh, well, it's going to be part of that. So it's going to be Sarah Stevens from the Butterfly Pavilion. Then we've got Jen Weiner from uh, New Wave Aquaria, which is up in Minnesota. You'll have me and then you'll have um, Chelsea, who actually helps us put together the Aqua Crib here at Aqua Shell. And she owns her own business doing maintenance and, and maintaining a wide variety of reef tanks. She has a lot of experience with builds. Yeah. And you know Chelsea from yeah. other, uh, you know, competitions here within Aquashella. Yeah, yeah. She she beat me at the last skate off. She did. You know? I, she I, I, beat I, I gotta have Kevin. to uh, give her some crap about that. You know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Kevin, I I think you know a lot of people they show up to these things and they wonder how do you get coral across the country? In this case, it's not too far of a drive for you guys, but how are you getting coral across the country? uh to all these shows what's the setup like you guys have it down to a science i'm sure we do but it's it's always nerve-wracking um we have some heavy duty coolers that we had custom acrylic racks and um you know cradles essentially sort of like what you would see in a you know a travel container like the building and obsessions ones but a custom insert for these heavy duty coolers to really keep them temperature controlled and water sealed so the racks will actually go in and stack, you know, three, four high. All the corals have the, um, the locking rubber, so they can't really come off. And um, all in all, it's pretty successful. I mean, especially being the fact that we, you know, usually bring aquacultured stuff and, and more frags than larger pieces. Don't have a lot of stuff sliming up in there and really fouling up the water. And then we always discard the water in the coolers and put clean uh, new water at the setup. So minimal loss uh, though we even have come to the airport i think once or twice and found our coolers upside down but even in that case there was only a few things we had to remount when we got to the show with a little glue and whatnot but all in all pretty smooth very good very good julian sprung we did we had arrived come in here. <laughs> hi hey everybody how, how julian how, how's the show gone for you so far i mean obviously we've just started right yeah right i mean the show uh, really opens today but um yeah, we had a, a late night set up. Uh, there was a concurrent show with uh, Central Pet, and that you know it was good to have same time and venue, but that sort of interfered on the uh, setup. Um, but uh, yeah, I, walking around the show uh, late yesterday evening, I see it looks spectacular. There's a lot of wonderful exhibitions that I, I look forward to seeing once they have the lights on and everything's going. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're kind of talking about. In, in this particular podcast talking about the state of the hobby currently yes. um and kevin i kind of want to start with your perspective on this being the owner of a large coral farm and retail space do you agree that it's kind of leveled off a bit from 2020 to 2022 um if if so what are some of the contributing factors from an owner's standpoint i mean it's tough to say i mean there's a certain demographic i think that may has has slowed down a little bit and we are driven a bit more by you know some larger tank installations and things like that i mean generally our numbers still increase year over year 
but yeah, a little less of the foot traffic and a lot of the um, people with small tanks and things like that, you know, looking for more basic things. I think it has a bit more to, you know, more high-end collector mentality and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I think the hobby is still always growing and, you know, there's so much more out there. Tanks, uh, saltwater aquariums are just easier than ever to, to maintain and, and keep the, the livestock alive. And, you know, a lot of quality aquaculturists out there, too, that are doing an excellent job, you know, keeping high quality, healthy animals that are that are here and that acclimate well to your, your aquarium. So you know, I think everything's still rolling pretty well. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's always ebbs and flows and changes and trends of what people are into and and that kind of thing. So, you know, that's something that you always kind of have a have to have a bit of a finger on the pulse. You know, it's like one year Zoas are in next year. Acros are the big thing. Next thing you know, it's mushrooms. Then uh, anemones got really big for a, a while there. And um, yeah, it's just always new stuff. I mean, even, um, you know, macroalgae tanks, I think could be another thing that could get really big here coming up. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, uh, Julian, I want to kick it over to you. Yeah, uh, You're the OG in the hobby, at least in, in, in this circle right here. You've seen the ups and downs. You've been through right. these. Um, what's something that's remained consistent through all these ebbs and flows for you? For me or <laughs> for the, well, for the what, hobby in general, for you? What's remained consistent? Um, hmm. It's a deep question. Uh, <laughs> uh, passion, I think, is, is you know, what, what drives this whole thing. Um, exasperation over algae. Uh, the inability to control algae. That's actually, if you peel apart the superficial stuff, uh, you know, that's what drives the entire industry. <laughs> it never goes away. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all, we all, we, that right, you know, we all talk about the latest, you know, piece of equipment and this controller and that supplement and this, you know, and it all comes down to how do I get rid of this algae? Oh, simple, just you know, yeah. do this. That, so that has never changed. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to look at this tongue in cheek, but there's truth in what I'm saying mm -hmm. to you. Yeah, um, yeah you know, uh, I, I love your response there because uh, that, that was so true because uh, the flavor of the month does always rotate. It's fashion, it's totally completely fashion um you know and and so think about the whole clothing and department store industry has its ups and downs exactly the same way um and you know the the department stores that stock up on something that's hot now but not hot six months from now they suffer the pain of the uh inventory that won't move um so if you still have gold torch corals you know while everybody else does it might be a problem uh, yeah <laughs> but um <clears throat> yeah, I think that in the long run, um, promoting systems that are easier to maintain uh, will help with the retention of, of people. Um, complexity is, is valuable only in the sense that you uh, might use it to learn something that you didn't know. 
uh, or for the case of a larger system, having the ability to control it in a way that is easier. Uh, but for the average hobbyist in smaller systems, simpler is, is always the best way. Um, and, and you do want to keep them as well as inspire new people uh, not to be afraid uh, to step in and become Gosh, a part it, of the it, hobby. The PES is such a yeah, great pests, observation because yeah. I, that's, you know, they proliferate, whether that be flatworms or sure. green, hair, green hair algae, aptasia, whatever, and that immediately turns people off. Yeah. That first obstacle. It, 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 yeah, I mean, hair algae is its own, uh, hair algae, cyanobacteria, you know, is just something that's always going to be there. And I, I see how it can be lumped together with pests, but it, it's it's kind of a different thing. It's, um, you know, it's just sort of a, a part of the hobby, especially for beginners, but it affects even the experts. I guess the experts, at least the ones who are diehard and staying with it long term, you know, you, you see hair algae or bryopsis or cyanobacteria here and there, you don't lose your mind. You know, okay, this is what I need to do and it's gonna go away. Whereas a newbie sees it and think, well, you know, this is it, I'm done. You know, I, I don't know how to control this. Uh, all my water parameters are perfect. They told me this is what I need to do and I still have this problem, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, somebody needs to get that message out and say, okay, um, this happens, it will go away. Uh, follow this, it won't be overnight. It's a biological system where it's not your swimming pool where you can pour in chlorine and everything goes away that way. Um, and you know, we have all the same uh, things available to us on the chemistry side as well as the biological side. We can use herbivores, different controls, but it takes time to achieve that, that level of balance so that you can have that, you know, tank of the month pristine thing that you're yeah. you're looking to do yeah um and i would also add that one thing that is never going to change is that a, a true hobbyist is always going to feel angst when looking at his or her own system there's always something that's not exactly right i mean okay there might be a day or two where you look and you go oh my god everything just looks perfect everything's great well that usually precedes something dying but um especially you know if there's something you're focused on oh my god that look at that it's so beautiful next day forget it yeah um <laughs> but in, in any case there's always some angst and and that just like the algae thing uh it you know if you open the hood that's a lot of the engine that drives it because that motivates you to try something new yeah which then supports your dealer and your manufacturer <laughs> it's kind of a funny psychological element we talk about biology and chemistry but there's really um, a whole emotional uh aspect to our sure our uh, just want to switch gears really quick um evie you're in local fish stores on the weekly yes what's the sentiment from from a local fish store owner at this point there are so there are a lot of it really depends on the area of the united states that they are in um i'm seeing a lot of stores that if they you know did a lot with their time coming out of the pandemic with doing updates to their stores doing anything uh in regards to maybe adding onto their store adding another fish wall adding another bay of coral the stores that did things like that, you know, they really uh, helped their local community with support and, hey, we're still growing. We want you to grow. Come in and see what we've been busy doing. 
any store that really was able to take advantage of that type of situation, um, they have really become just such a leader in their town and their little city that have done something um, to help bring in more customers, furthering education. Um, that's been a really big deal with the stores um, because their employees were able to kind of slow down a little bit. They've gotten a couple more years of education under their belt. That really helps customers. It helps further the hobby in general because I believe that over the last couple of years, education has become a massive base for this because there's so much available out there and there's so many different avenues in which you can do it. But I like to recommend definitely getting good with your LFS, create a good relationship with whoever the owner is, whoever you like to have advise you in. Find your favorite influencer, find your favorite, you know, um, person that you followed for many years, like Julian. <laughs> um, get with them. Yes. Get get with them. See, see the things that they say, because there's education everywhere and it's so easy to access now. And it's so important for the hobby to keep the longevity of it going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kevin and uh, Julian, you had also mentioned this, like the trend of corals. And I remember asking Chris Meckley this one time and he all but ripped my head off um, for the question. But it's more so, like you said, it's like it's like a fashion trend. It's weird. It's almost like you never knew about the Weeping Willow sarcophyte. You never knew about that until Jake posted up about it. And then all of a sudden, everybody yeah. wants to see it. Or the weird um, Econopora that you know, yeah. is over there. It's nothing, there's not a whole lot that's attractive about that coral, right? It's but it's cool. It's cool. It's unique. And that I think is really, is it's, really awesome. It's in a kind of pora that has the branching form, something like an acropora. Yeah. So, you know, it, it fills the space in that, yeah. in that way. It doesn't really put out long sweepers like other kind of poras. Um, not that I've seen yet at least, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty coral that, you don't really see there's there are similar shaped ones for example from pectinia that you also never see yeah uh, these branchy forms that provide you know it can be a contrast to the colorful sticks the different acros that we have i, I think um the cyphastria decadia which similarly is you know a, you know cyphastria as a genus is an encrusting or massive and then you have this one that's shaped like an acro uh you have myself included, people who are, you know, hoarders of that little niche in the hobby that, that like these little... Like the little weird, odd Weird, weird corals. Yeah. And, and Jake, you know, was one of these people. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, it was so great to share that that love of, of these unusual corals. So, Kevin, yeah. do you think that there's any other yeah. factors that weigh heavy into what that fashionable coral is? Well, I think... You know, with social media these days and, you know, a lot of the, the stuff people are seeing, you know, it can be just something new, really nice tanks that people see that that kind of show off something that hasn't really been done before. And I think that can kind of drive trends. Um, you know, sometimes it has to do with, well, for example, like you know, Indo got shut down as far as importation. I mean, that's when torches just went crazy and everyone was doing a lot of the um you know different stuff with that where it was always trying to get the hot collection of that stuff and then when that opened they flooded in and then it just got even bigger but then i think that's kind of dying down a little bit you know you're, you're always gonna see 
I think with beginners coming in though, uh, they're, they're, they're gonna try out a lot of simpler things that are always gonna be in style. I mean, you know, I think sometimes I even talk to my crew, you know, and they're all hobbyists. It's like, yeah, they can almost have this negative attitude towards something like a star polyp, you know, like, eh, you don't want that, you know, it grows like a weed, but you know, that's a coral that I think has a place in most people's aquarium that really adds a lot of color and movement and yeah, you know, you just totally. have to know how to put it in your aquascape. So, you know, I think there's always stuff that will be a staple there. But, yeah, you know, all in all, I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, I've seen some pretty wild Ganapora tanks. Um, yeah. You know, lately that's been getting huge. And just the amount of colors for people who are, I think, more experienced collectors who've kind of seen all that. That's where, let's say, they're finding new areas of collection and they, they just got stuff that you haven't seen before i mean just just the um, variety and, and health of the ghanis and then i think the nutrition that you can provide to them yeah. in captivity has gotten to the point where they're much easier to maintain um, right. which has driven that that trend as well um, so that's that's something that's that's really been growing is it all about the manganese for that, for ghanis is that uh, is that yeah. proven like we've decided that yeah. that's the thing okay yeah that that's that's key and critical to them uh, being able to adapt to our artificial light regime. It's a, uh, an element that's part of the enzyme they use uh, to deal uh, with uh, photooxidation. Um, and it's important for all corals, but for some reason, I mean, nobody really knows why it's so key for Ganeopora, um, but that's true. Plus, as you mentioned, Kevin, the, the foods uh, feeding them helps, you know, promote growth as it does for other corals. But having a, a base uh, availability of supplementation of manganese makes it easier. Um, I think, yeah, you know, carrying on with what you said, you know, it's great to see that increased interest in Ganyopora. But any any coral that becomes fashionable, um, you know, a key is that it has a unique appearance. Another is that it's fraggable and, and that you can cultivate it. Um, so, you know, I, I love that you mentioned star polyp and things like that. <laughs> I would say that, you know, one of the banes of, you know, almost to the level of Aptasia, Xenia. Uh, there's so many varieties of Xenia and Xeniids. Um, I, I could see that just like uh, macroalgae aquariums, I could see that becoming a, a thing, fashionable. Um, I, I've never not loved Xenia. I mean, you, you, if you're trying to grow an SPS tank and it gets in your tank, it can be a problem because it will overgrow and, and kill the SPS corals. But, you know, in its own special display, who, who can beat uh, pulse corals? And, and there's many varieties, just like, you know, we were talking about the weeping willow uh, sarcophyte and uh, there's all these different types of zenias and diving in Indonesia, you know, just last week, that was just one of the, the pleasures to just go over these beds in the shallows and even some deeper water ones and watch them. Uh, you know, it, it's wonderful that we can see that mesmerizing thing in our own aquariums at home. I was gonna wait to ask you this, Yeah, but you're leading me there. Yeah. Uh, you guys did a tribute dive for Jake yes. last week. Can you tell us how that went? Did you guys see yeah. anything cool? Um, and so just as background for anybody who's, you know, maybe not aware, of course, um, that uh, 
uh, Jake Adams was uh, on a flight on his way to Indonesia to see the dive sites that we ended up going to uh, the past two weeks. Um, he passed away on, en route and uh, he was on his way to do these dive trips uh, with Vincent Chalius. Um, and after Jake passed, Vincent uh, called up a number of Jake's close friends and said, hey, you know, I, I would like to do this dive trip with you and, you know, commemorate Jake's life and explore these reefs that, that he was about to see. Uh, and, you know, just share that with you so that he could be there in spirit through your eyes. Um, and we, we did that. Uh, the experience was marvelous. Um, Jake's brother Luke was there with us. Um, you know, at times it was, um, you know, it's bittersweet and, and a little strange because, you know, there are times that Luke really looks a lot like Jake. And it's, you know, he's, he's not a twin and, and um, behaviorally he's completely different. Uh, but um, there are times, you know, that we were there and, you know, I would just look at him and it was, you know, a little bit strange, uh, but wonderful to share that with him. Um, and with everybody else, uh, the, the dives were magnificent. Uh, weather was perfect. Um, the corals, I, I, I've got thousands of photos to sort through. I haven't had a chance to even do that yet. I'm just back. Um, you, know, you talk about Ganiapora. There's a Ganiapora that I saw there uh, verifying that it, it's a real thing. I knew about it. Um, a friend, uh, Colin Ford, many of you know Colin, has it growing in, in one of his systems and he showed it to me and all I can do looking at it was like, what is that? <laughs> and I thought it was a one-off, but we, we found it there. It, it is a real thing and it's growing. Imagine a Ganiopora that grows like Leptosiris, thin plates oh, nice. oh. forming scrolls and it's a Ganiopora. Wow. <laughs> it's there in Indonesia, you know, just, um, I don't know whether it's a distinct species or whether it's a known species that under, under particular environmental conditions takes this form. Um, it's really hard to, hard to tell uh, because when you have described existing species and you see something that has similarities to it, um, there's a psychological tendency to shoehorn it and say, well, that is this. Um, but that doesn't necessarily uh, fit reality. Scientists will look at that and they'll use the CF to compare it to an existing species. Um, I, I'm not sure what, what it was that we were seeing, but I took a lot of pictures of it. And uh, that was, you know, one of the cool things we saw, one of a million cool things we saw yeah. there. You got some good footage of that one? I have good footage of it, awesome. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'll have to share that. It was you know, just one of those cool things we we also saw it was on my bucket list of things to see the um, uh, elegance coral catalophilia there is a variety of elegance coral that's quite common in the hobby now it's the typical stripy green mantle with the purple tips that people frag a lot and i have seen pictures of that you know forming fairly large fields and we dove on a basically a, a section um, that was just solid. It was a, a reef of that. 
so it went on and on and on and on. I saw some of that video. Yeah, it's stunning. And and that it was stunning and wonderful to see and to imagine that you know you have basically an old colony of, with clones. You know, it breaks apart. The skeleton breaks fairly easy in this um, type of uh, elegance coral. And then we saw it elsewhere, and it's identical. Uh, so that was pretty fascinating to me. It was sort of a mystery knowing that there's this very fraggable, hardy variety. I wasn't sure whether maybe that was coming from only one location or what, and we saw it in a, in a few locations and they all look the same. So it uh, seems to be a variety, maybe a distinct species of catalophilia. Uh, and cool. they're hardy in captivity. They don't suffer this um, condition that, that affects some of the other varieties that are more colorful, more you know, different. Yeah, um, that's so, very cool. You guys got to do yeah, that. Yeah, we got to see it in that sort of situation. <laughs> now I know uh, yeah. some things that. And I, I know that Vincent had said that there was maybe a spawning event that happened just before you guys arrived. Yeah, I uh, we didn't see that, but uh, he was looking. I think it was a species of Montipora. Yeah, and it and it occurred at the at the right time for spawning, but the conditions were surprising. Uh, was rather cool water. Um, that was another surprising thing for me. I've, I've been diving for decades and I've uh, certainly encountered cold upwelling events, but at a lot of the reef sites uh, that we went to, it was quite common that once you got down below 50 feet, um, there was a good chance that you were going to get hit in the face with a current that was going to make you scream. It was so damn cold. Um, I, I should have had my wetsuit with me and I, I did not. Um, and you know, you're, you're in water initially 82, 83 degrees, which is very comfortable. And then suddenly 74, 75 degree water hits you and Oh yeah, it takes your breath away. Uh, you 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 know it's coming because there's a difference in the density, and suddenly the water starts to get a little blurry, and then it it comes as a current, and it <sighs> it's that ice water bath. So something to think about. Uh, you know that's where we would see the uh, trachophilia and the acanthophilia. You know in deeper water, and it was in most cases, and also some cinerinos there. Um, it was in that place that gets hit with that cold water. Uh, I don't know how often, whether it's just seasonal. I, I really don't know, but we were seeing it this time of year. Um, I've I've seen, you know, trachophilia and cinerina and the Solomon Islands in, in habitats that I never saw the cold water where, where I was there. But certainly where we were in, in Sulawesi, um, that was a, on a daily basis something they were exposed to. There was yeah. no visible response from the coral at all. Corals looked real the, happy. Straight up. And no, the fish, no too. Imagine the fish, you know, going through yeah. those temperature swings. Yeah, getting that, sh yeah, that it was really Oh, God. And they're, you know, just, it's fine. <laughs> should, should we be shooting cold water currents through our tanks? I'm not making tanks? any recommendations. <laughs> I think in, yeah, that'll in be practical, tough one to manage. practical experience, that's a good way to make sick fish. And, and you know, I don't know what the corals would do. Um, but there they are. Uh, you know, it, it sort of throws a wrench into, in the, into the whole question. I mean, it, this goes back to you know, the early days of reef keeping. There was always a go, what's the ideal temperature, right? You know, and so you had the academic uh, look. Uh, Ron Schimmick was talking about, well, the average temperature on reefs and these regions where the highest diversity is, 
this is just a whole other way of looking at it. Sure, you have surface temperature, but then the corals are at different depths and, and you do have these upwellings and they're not rare. Uh, so, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, well, awesome yeah. you guys got to do that. Yeah. I look forward to the video and the photos and all that in the future. Um, but it's fun to go from the ocean to the hobbyist to the tank. Obviously, Evie, you're around the country also talking to some of the most enthusiastic reef keepers with, I mean, you've done a bunch of videos for reef builders at this point. Mm -hmm. What's, what are the streets saying? What are, what are the, like the enthusiastic hobbyists saying about the hobby right now? They, I think a lot of people right now are excited about, there's been a lot of stuff that's been discovered, especially color, different color variations of things. Everybody, you know, they get into like their little fashionable zones where they're like, okay, I have like 50 zoanthids, but I found five colors I don't have. And then you start to see the obsession grow and then they'll, they'll move into the, the next trend, right? So now it's like, okay, we got bounce mushrooms. Now we've got, okay, well, this one has the orange bubbles, but I just saw one that has pink or red bubbles. Yeah. Now they got to have that one. Um, so I think that as there's so much more availability everywhere, like Kevin's website is an example, they have such a wide variety. It's easy for you to sit there and want to collect and kind of get obsessive over specific pieces. And I see a lot of that happening. And I think it's becoming a little trendy where you're also experiencing hobbyists get multiple tanks and then they'll kind of dedicate their obsessions into different tanks. It's a syndrome. It yeah, is. Yeah. 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 We, we just all kind of get sucked into it. Yeah. So. That, that's really the right way to do it too. Mm -hmm. Trying to put all your eggs in one basket. It's just, you know, you're not likely to succeed yeah. because these And you run out of real estate very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, it's, is there any, is there any data that you guys can see like from just a website, like search engine point of view to kind of know what's coming or maybe yeah, who's what? the it girl? Who's the it girl coming up? Yeah. Oh, if he told you that, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's it's Xenia because it might Julian be just Xenia, talked about Xenia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> joke about that, but we do sell a ton of Xenia. That's always been a staple and a very popular one. But I would say you know, a lot of the search trends have been, you know, going more towards the LPS and softies. Zoas are definitely accelerating a lot more. But, you know, it may be thrown off a little bit just because we've been personally focusing on our collection more and trying to expand that as well. So I don't know if that necessarily carries over fully, um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's gravitated a little way from acros. You know, that was definitely one area that we were focusing um, more on. So we're, we're always trying to bring in new things. Uh, me personally, I've been, you know, getting into a lot of different plate coral propagation of, you know, different species, trying out new things, even some of the non-typical fragging types that you typically wouldn't even mess with have had success cutting some of those um, you know i've collected you know even if i go to a wholesalers and let's say we're getting some stuff i'll say hey can i get these skeletons from you and we'll you know chuck them underneath uh, some of the frag racks and see if anything uh you know comes about from that and you know, i found a lot of the the plates that do tend to to reproduce from the dead skeletons also are very easy to frag even if those aren't those typical species. So, you know, there's one, we may have some videos on social media that uh, it was interesting. It kind of piqued my interest. Um, you know, Russell from Ocean's Blend had been propagating this strain for the years and years and years. And yeah. he gave me one, grew it into a massive sized uh, individual 
colony and then brought it to the farm and we kind of intentionally killed it off. And now that thing's just covered, covered with little babies popping up. And, you know, once I cut those babies from the skeleton, they grow rapidly. They're super healthy. I can actually refrag those ones sometimes even, you know, not just in half, but into quarters. Um, I just picked up uh, a plate from Meckley not too long ago that had kind of naturally formed with multiple mouths. Now, I don't know if that was just something with the way it had gotten damaged or was growing, um, but I had just sliced that into little pizza pie shaped sections and, and they've all been surviving and doing really well, you know, so that's something we're getting more and more into. I could um, see for that me personally. Really, and we're really always looking to up. try new things from a propagation standpoint. So, um, you know, big coral farm, always adding diversity, and 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 hopefully that'll be a trend that we can contribute to driving and growing in the future, where it's not just uh, hey, I'm going to buy this one piece and drop it in the tank from the wild. You know, we can actually have a, a diverse, hardy collection of those those things that have hopefully been in captivity for uh, for years and years. I have one of those plates in my tank now. Yeah. Yeah. Which one did you get again? Uh, it's it the red one. Okay, yeah, yeah the Diablo Diceris. Diceris. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one Diceris does very, very well. That one's an easy, easy fragger. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get you one of those. We call it the Funky Fungia. That was the one that I originally got from Russell as yeah. well. That's a pretty one. Yeah. yeah. Is it Cycloceris as well? Yeah, yeah. The, the Diocerus is has been synonymized with Cycloceris, so yeah, they're all Cycloceris. <laughs> they're all Cycloceris. Yeah. Did they actually change that? Yeah, it's Cycloceris. Yeah. Um, what fragilis? Or? Yeah, correct. Um, I, I love those corals, and, yeah, and you know, conceptually, there, you know, that that whole process of farming them is not so different from Corallomorpharia mushroom anemones when you think about it. They just happen to have a skeleton in yeah. them, but they reproduce and grow really quickly, um, and they're for the most part compatible. So a hobbyist who uh, is a hoarder and looking to have all the different plates, uh, you can, can have that. They can be all up against each other. At least in my experience, I haven't seen any uh, negative inter yeah. interactions among them. Uh, they have so many different colors and varieties that uh, all you need is the right uh, bottom uh, habitat for them. Uh, so yeah, I could see that being a trend. I would, I would love to see Another that. Trend flow. calling it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started. Uh, yeah. Man, we fragged my first scully the other day. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's another one that I've heard more and more people, um, you know, tinkering around with right. as well. And right. You know, acanthophilia and yes, and and all sorts of different stuff. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes and that you know, needs how to much be, success you needs can to get be to. done. Yeah, because since it's harder and harder. To well, the, yeah, it was not, it's not just harder and harder to get them. They're just not common. Yeah. And the hobby, you know, since they're beautiful, the hobby has a demand for them. And it's a coral where the harvest of them really could have an impact on wild populations, unlike most other corals where it, you can't even measure our impact is so small on, you know, single polyp, large uh, relatively slow growing corals like that, uh, we could uh, be affecting their wild populations. And that's not something we really want to uh, support. 
so farming, whether it's through fragging or you know, uh, inspire, inspiring the corals to spawn, um, which has also been worked on lately. Uh, Frag the scoli right. about two years ago, and it's still yeah, it's still it's, pretty small. Yeah, they they are the s slow growers for sure. Right. Yeah, it seems in the wild they don't grow quite as slowly as we see in our aquariums, so that must be a food situation. Yeah, we you spot feed yours often. Yeah, I mean it, and it once it rounds out. Yeah, and you get the, uh, you you can feed it again. It'll it'll still you yes. know the feeding tentacles will still come out when it's halved. Right. Um, but it's just once it rounds out, it's just so slow. It's just it, like the slowest it, thing. And I know for a farming from a farming standpoint, that's not the best. That's not yeah. ideal. Yeah. But if that's what we have to do to keep it in the hobby, then that's right. kind of where we're at. It's more experimentation for when we do get to the time where they will yeah. be less and less readily available, that may be the only way that this will exist in our, our hobby and, and the industry here in captivity. So you know, definitely just trying to lay the groundwork on some of that stuff and, and tinker around with new things. And you know maybe there'll be new techniques and, and different dips and, and you know, maybe certain traces that will be found that can accelerate the healing and, and growth of these things as well. So right. who knows? Yeah, um, we've got about five minutes left. I have one more question for Julian specifically. We had talked to Sarah Stevens on yeah. the Reef Therapy podcast about a month ago about the Florida Reef Track. Yeah. And she told us a story about how they asked you for a five gallon bucket of aminos. Right. Can you, can you tell us about that story? Yeah, uh, that was it was sort of a. <laughs> was an odd afternoon. Uh, <laughs> there I was doing a, a, a blend of Accuracy One. We you know, make the synthetic seawater mix and I get a phone call and I usually um, ignore my phone <laughs> while I'm doing that because I don't, I don't want the distractions. But I know Sarah and I, you know, I, I took the call and she said that somebody was coming down and, and you know, you know, sorry to bother you, but it's an emergency. We need this uh, acro power in the five gallon, which we do. We produce that. Um, and, oh, we have some corals that, that we need to treat. And I thought, ah, she's making a mistake. She must mean revive. And I said, don't you mean revive? You know, you're doing a bath. Uh, and she said, no, we're using acro power. And it's saving uh, these corals. And I, I, all I can tell you is that, if I, first of all, I was stunned. I'd never heard of it, you know, anybody doing that. And uh, I, I have yet to have a follow-up from her to, uh, you know, explain to me <laughs> how did you, how did you go about doing that, and and can you show me your data? What what had been your baths your observations and all because I, it was that's an unexpected thing yeah i was sure she was mistaken anyway we arranged it and they got it and i imagine that helped them rescue some corals but i i, I don't have a a protocol i don't know exactly how she was doing it and uh what made them think to try that yeah i think they were doing uh, she'll be here to, to yeah. today yeah. so right. we'll be able to get your update I think yeah they were doing um from what I remember from the conversation, they were doing 15-minute baths yeah. daily on yeah. the corals that they were triaging. Yes, and uh, seemed to seem to 
help them, which right. I think is something it's that, fascinating. you know, I think from a commercial standpoint, obviously you're dealing with wild coral here, Yeah. but how can we transition that into the hobby if yeah. we've, we've, we've got alien um, corals in our tanks? Yeah. I mean, what it, what it pointed to was that somehow a nutritional state was helping the coral fight whatever it is they were fighting. Um, that's not something I've ever, you know, observed in the scientific literature look you know of course corals feeding in the wild is essential to their health but specifically saying okay amino acids uh can have that positive effect i've never seen anything about it um that's, that's cool. it's new that, it's just huge if, if you're saying that that's yeah. that's that's a big deal yeah, right? that's yeah. interesting i mean i've never tried that in a bath i mean it is yeah. something in our hospital tank we do yeah. try to you know, add a lot more. Um, we need to hear back benefit there from Sarah to understand yeah. what. Yeah. You yes. need to ask yes. the ladies yes, take over for sure. about yeah. all that. Yes, I'll have to check out that. You know, yeah. see if it's something we can incorporate. Yeah, and I, I'd be happy to help if I knew more about what she was doing. So I, that was another thing we we were even yeah. thinking about potentially um, starting Zuzanteli uh, culture to, to yeah. potentially aid in recovery on some of our corals as well and right. you know just offer as something else that we sell to our customers too so that's, that's that'd be, an excellent uh, idea. maybe another project that we get into in the next six months or so right and you know you could offer different clads different type you know of zozantheli uh symbiote <laughs> aca right yeah they're, they're different types and they have um different effects on, on coral health. Uh, for example, the, the studies that were done by NOAA recently on healthy corals in Biscayne Bay around the port of Miami, uh, one of the aspects of researching those corals was looking at what their symbionts were. And I think it was like a shining beacon light that pointed out that they had this, um, I think it's clad D, it's a, it's a a symbiont that is uh, non-native to the Caribbean. It's actually an Indo-Pacific. Zosanthelli is in these corals uh, near the port of Miami, um, presumably transported there by ballast water. Uh, you know, you're near the port. And here these corals with that clad are thriving in conditions where, uh, you know, it wouldn't be expected. And the same species of coral out on the reef where the water is clear and nutrient poor and all are dying. They're, they're not thriving and they don't have that zoosanthelia. What a strange That's circumstance, you know. Yeah. So you bring up cultivating uh, zoosanthelia, it, it's a good idea, perhaps um, dosing the right clads uh, could help corals recover, if, you know, corals that are having a problem. Uh, with disease. We'll see where we go with that yeah. and you know maybe in a, a few months we may have to discuss more on that right yeah i love this hobby because of this type of conversation yes, that happens 100%. where there's still so much we don't know right oh yeah you know and there's so much to talk about yeah even in little segments that cover very vast subject matter yeah. there is so much sure yeah well i wish that we had another two hours with you guys so we could just sit here and talk but i know you got to get to your booth right you got to go hobnob and all that stuff yeah oh i got to get to my booth too <laughs> okay, so are you selling mangroves i do have some mangroves okay. here yeah that's right. and kevin has 
lots of coral. <laughs> yeah. Lots of coral. Yep. <laughs> We're loaded up over here. That's awesome. We're doing the mysteries again too. So we'll have the um, spin wheel prize where you potentially, you know, pay twenty to forty dollars and win a piece that's worth over a thousand dollars. So awesome. we'll have a handful of that stuff. So it's gonna be fun. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I do yeah. want to thank you guys for taking time to uh, be on today. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, Aquashella Daytona, this is the first year here. The venue's awesome. Can't wait for people. Like we're, This is all before our doors open, so nobody's in here yet. But if you've got any questions for Julian, for Kevin, for Evie, for me, go ahead and leave those in the comments section below, and we will uh, we'll catch you in the next one. All right. all right. Thank you, guys. See you guys.